Before we start this week's episode, a quick heads up for our wonderful listeners. I'm thrilled to let you know that in the coming weeks, we will be introducing a regular third host to the show, RFF senior fellow Margaret Walls. So please be on the lookout, or the listen out, as the case may be, and be ready for some fantastic conversations between Margaret and her guests. Okay, now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Evan Michelson, Program Director for the Energy and Environment Program at the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Evan joined the Sloan Foundation over eight years ago after previous positions as a director at the Markle Foundation and an associate director at the Rockefeller Foundation. Before moving into philanthropy, Evan worked as a researcher and program manager at a number of scientific and policy organizations. Today, Evan and I are discussing the world of energy and environmental research from a funder's perspective. We'll touch on how grantmakers think about priority setting, how the world of environmental philanthropy has evolved, and why research matters. Stay with us. Hi, Evan. It's really nice to have you here with me today on Resources Radio. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me and great to be here. Great. Well, I rattled off a few of your previous roles in my introduction, um, but I always want to give the guests themselves a platform to share a little bit more color on how you ended up where you are. So working at this intersection of energy, environment, philanthropy, can you give a flavor of, of how you've ended up at the Sloan Foundation today? Sure. So I think like a lot of people that are in the philanthropic sector, I kind of took a bit of a winding path to get here. Um, my undergraduate degree was in philosophy, of all things, uh, which, uh, while seemingly unrelated, has actually been a wonderful background to have working in the philanthropic space. Uh, I've always had an interest in thinking about big picture questions and how the world might evolve over the coming years. And uh, I found myself, uh, you know, more and more drawn to thinking about those big questions with respect to energy and the environment and climate change, because that is you know, perhaps the uh, most challenging issue humanity will face over the coming decades. Um, and I found myself thinking uh, about the ways in which uh, I wanted to address those questions and topics and uh, always thought that my own interest and skill set was really best suited to helping other people uh, figure out how to do research better. Uh, and I uh, had the opportunity to move into the philanthropic space a number of years ago uh, and found that it was something that I really enjoyed uh, and really enjoy thinking about uh, how to make research better and more productive and more impactful. And was lucky enough to find myself uh, at the Sloan Foundation uh, where we really do a lot of amazing work, uh, not just on energy and the environment, but across a whole range of social science and natural science topic areas. So I'm uh, really fortunate to be here. That's great. And that's that's a nice lead into maybe hearing a little bit more about the foundation too. And, and I'll admit, so before I came to RFF, I wasn't particularly familiar with the work of the foundation. I'd, I'd heard about it uh, via its support of National Public Radio, but I didn't know a lot about the topic areas and the kind of types of, of interventions or activities that the foundation was funding. Um, so just in case our listeners might be in that same boat, can you share just a little bit maybe of the foundation's history and, and where you focus your attention either within the energy environment program or some of those broader areas of interest you were mentioning? 
Sure. So the Sloan Foundation was started in 1934 by Alfred P. Sloan Jr., who had a interest in uh, science and economics. And that interest has uh, permeated the work of the Sloan Foundation throughout our nearly 90 year history. Uh, many people, like you mentioned, Kristen, uh, are familiar with the Sloan Foundation through our support for work related to public understanding of science, technology, and economics. And in addition to supporting work uh, on radio and television and on the movies, we support a number of books like the book Hidden Figures that many people might be familiar with. But for those in the academic community, uh, many people uh, who do research uh, tend to be familiar through the Sloan Foundation through a number of other programs that we have. We have the Sloan Research Fellowships, which we've been awarding for decades to some of the most promising scholars in uh, economics and many fields of basic science and mathematics. And we have a number of programs now that really run the gamut. Um, as you mentioned, I oversee our energy and environment grant making. We have grants to a large scale astronomical research program called the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, which was one of the first big data projects in the sciences. We have work that focuses on improving uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion and representation of scholars in STEM research fields. We have work on data science. We have work on uh, basic science uh, at the intersection of biology and physics and a number of other programmatic areas as well. Um, so one of the best parts about being at the Sloan Foundation is that we really get to learn um, and have a bird's eye view uh, to think about a wide range of topics across the social sciences and the natural sciences. Mm -hmm. Evan, I noticed that you've you've already used the word research a number of times in our conversation. And I want to just hone in on that for just a second, because because of something that you and I have talked about previously in other conversations, which is about this landscape of research funding and, and honestly how research isn't always top of mind for private philanthropy. In other words, there, there actually aren't too many private funders like the Sloan Foundation that are really invested in funding research. I'm curious why you think that is and, and maybe why the Sloan Foundation, aside from the interests of its founder, but why the Sloan Foundation has really chosen to invest in research for all of these years. That's right, Kristen. I think it is rather unusual for philanthropies to support research, uh, whether it's in the natural sciences or the social sciences. And I think that's because funding research and, and doing it well is actually really quite challenging. Um, you know, it requires a level of expertise. It requires uh, an ability to uh, undertake uh, high quality uh, original uh, data collection and analysis. Um, and, you know, perhaps most importantly, it takes a lot of time. Um, and I think, uh, paradoxically, one of the reasons why foundations tend not to support research is that they're looking for more immediate and quick answers to questions, which I'm very sympathetic about and I think is really important. But I think one of the benefits we have in working at a foundation is that we really can take the long-term view. Um, and I wish more and more foundations would fund research to be able to, to provide that long-term view on whatever field they're interested in, but particularly with respect to energy and the environment. Um, there are numbers bandied about, but uh, a lot of recent research has shown that uh, a very, very small percentage of philanthropic dollars are going into energy and the environment and climate change, which seems hard to believe, but it's true. So I think across the landscape, not only are energy environment underrepresented in terms of where foundations put their resources, 
but an even smaller fraction of that number uh, of, of dollars is going into research. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting and unique ways that our program at the Sloan Foundation is structured, is that we're really one of the only philanthropic funders dedicated to supporting research, training, and other uh, evidence-based activities to help inform the societal transition toward low carbon energy systems in the United States. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for that commentary. And I, I did want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about your own role within the foundation as well as program director. Uh, you know, we're talking about the foundation and the good work it does, but I it, personally, I'd love to know a little bit more about your role, a flavor of your responsibilities. And you've mentioned a couple parts of the job that are really exciting for you about getting to learn about new areas of interest, um, getting to work across disciplines. But what else would you say is kind of the most rewarding or exciting part of this job for you? So being a program director at a foundation is really a, a great role to have. Um, in addition to learning about new things almost on a daily basis, I get to connect with uh, interesting scholars and researchers, both within our program and outside of our program, to really understand some of the cutting edge work that people are planning on doing. Uh, as a program director, you really are a, a jack of all trades, I would say. We do everything from uh, reviewing proposal ideas, uh, sourcing new proposal ideas, um, going to conferences and meetings to understand what the state-of-the-art research is, uh, and really working with our partners, both within the philanthropic sector, within government, industry, and academia, to help move a lot of high quality research forward. So we really do a little bit of everything. Um, and uh, it's something that I'm, I'm really excited about on a daily basis. In fact, I would say my, my favorite part of this job is that uh, when I get to open up a new proposal that I haven't read yet uh, uh, on my computer, it's always kind of a really interesting and exciting window into the world. Um, and what I get to do is help researchers uh, move along that process, and especially for the work that we end up funding, uh, trying to give some perspective and feedback on how to make that work better and how to structure that work better, and perhaps how to make connections with other work that's going on either within our program or outside of our program, or thinking about how to structure that research better just to have a more substantial impact. So uh, it's something that, you know, every day is a little bit different and um, every proposal is a little bit different and every project is a little bit different. But I get to come into contact uh, with folks that are deeply committed to making the world a better place. And especially given uh, the changes that are happening now with respect to decarbonizing our energy system, there are so many passionate people that are uh, looking to make a difference in the research community and then extending that research outside into the broader world that it's never a dull moment here. I am sure. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. And I, I guess from an outsider's perspective, I have seen a little bit of that bridge building role that that you in particular, and I'm guessing others, counterparts in other places play, because you are kind of at the epicenter of a lot of different ideas, and a lot of different institutions. And, and so your ability to look across a range of proposals, perhaps on a similar topic, and find the, to use a buzzword, but find the synergies between them, find ways that you know, disparate collaborators might be working together. I imagine that's both really fun, but it's also really, I will say as a, you know, it's beneficial for the folks on the other side of that too, uh, to have folks who really do sit at that kind of intersection of lots of different um, 
yeah, people and, and grantees. So we appreciate it too. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, of course we're uh, most able to help folks by providing funding, but uh, even when we're not able to provide funding in some cases, we really try to create opportunities for connection across institutions, fields, and sectors. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there are a number of examples of that. Um, we have a collaboration with another foundation called Research Corporation for Science Advancement, which is based in Tucson. And we have a partnership with them called Scilog, which is a mashup of the word science and dialogue. All credit goes to Research Corporation for coming up with that. But they have this process that we've been uh, a partner in for a number of years that brings a number of early career faculty members together to do work on lots of different topic areas in, in the sciences. And we've been partnering with them uh, on a project related to advancing negative emission science. And there, the process is actually one of really getting people almost into a intellectual sandbox, if you will, uh, and to spend a few days working on different science ideas. And actually the focus of that gathering, which brings together early career faculty from chemistry, biology, physics, atmospheric science, geoscience, the focus is to actually get them to put together potentially fundable ideas where they actually work on uh, a number of speculative high-risk, high-reward projects that they then propose to us and other funders, and we end up selecting a handful for uh, providing a small amount of seed funding. So that's just one example. But there are a number of other opportunities and, and activities in the field that we're involved in and that other um, organizations are involved in that really try to bring people together, um, uh, bring researchers together, bring folks from different fields together. Uh, and it's something that we're able to do um, because, as, as you mentioned, um, we are lucky enough to really have the opportunity to, to, to work with a number of researchers across different fields. And, and I'll say that it's one of the reasons why our energy environment program at the Sloan Foundation is very deliberately framed as an interdisciplinary research effort. Uh, and more and more of the work that we support really uh, brings together faculty uh, from different fields, different disciplines, and different institutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Evan, I, f I feel like I might take this moment to put in a plug for um, another convening that you're actually putting together with RFF, with us, this fall, which is which is also designed to, to build some of those bridges across disciplines, but also in this case, with the policy community as well. And you mentioned impact, which of course is a really important part of how we think about our work here at RFF, and I, I'm sure all your grantees do. And so this kind of bridging research and decision-making is kind of the focus of that one. So um, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to mention about that conference too, but we're certainly excited to be putting that together with you. Yes, we're, we're thrilled to be partnering with, with all of you at RFF to put together this Energy Insights 2022 conference. Um, that's going to do exactly what you said, Kristen, which is to bring researchers, a number of whom are uh, Sloan grantees and some of whom who are not, together with folks from the private sector and decision makers to understand how that process of bringing research to decision making happens and how it can be done better and uh, gaps that need to be filled. Um, and this builds on a, a similar conference uh, we organized with RFF a number of years ago um, that was really well received and uh, was, was quite informative to understanding how that whole research to decision-making process plays out. So I'm excited about it. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. Yeah, me too. So let's talk a little bit more about kind of the challenges and opportunities before you. Um, you know, it seems 
It seems obvious that, of course, the challenge is that you can't fund all the good ideas that come your way. But I imagine there are other challenges you face as a grant maker. Um, and then also, you know, you've been in this field for a number of years. It's obviously evolved, and we can talk a little bit more about how it's evolved. In fact, I'd like to. But what do you see as the opportunities uh, as a grant maker focused on energy and environmental issues as well? So, as you said, in terms of the challenges, the the first and foremost challenge we face is that there really are a lot of really excellent ideas and just given inevitable limitations in funding we really can't consider and fund all of them um, and that's a really difficult position to be in but it's it's, it's one that's true um, but there are so many opportunities that, that lie ahead right uh, we've just uh, completed and uh, are in the process of making grants around a number of open calls for research that really try to advance state-of-the-art thinking in some of these areas that I think are really underexplored. So uh, we just made a series of grants around um, research to advance energy equity uh, that are uh, being undertaken by scholars from across the country working in nearly 20 different states and regions to try to put some really substantive community-based and community-informed uh, understanding behind a lot of the uh, research activities uh, and, and, and policies that are being developed to advance that critical area of energy equity. Uh, we just held an open call on energy system electrification, research that will explore both the challenges and opportunities related to electrifying and decarbonizing the energy system. But there's opportunities ahead. And I think that the future really is going to be around bringing to bear scholars from different fields to answer these very complicated problems and challenges. So for instance, we have a number of grants that are doing work on energy system modeling that are being informed, not just by technical understanding of how the energy system is changing, but also through qualitative social science methods to bring in much more of a lived experience to inform the development of these models. We have uh, research projects that are looking at both the technical and human dimensions of the impacts of climate change on how the energy system is, is changing. And there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from technical reports and data collection, but you also have to go out there into the community and talk to people to understand how, say, more severe storms are impacting their use of, of, of electricity and, uh, and other forms of energy. So I think one of the things I would love to see more of going forward is one, uh, more foundations, putting more money into research. We're, we're honored to partner with, with a number of foundations um, uh, where the opportunities align uh, to, to advance research and scholarship. But uh, I would love it over the course of the next few years, the next decade or so, if there were other philanthropic efforts uh, that, that uh, pop up that can complement ours around supporting research. I also, you know, have found over, over the years and, and increasingly going forward is that the individuals that are doing scholarship in this area really have a impressive and amazing background and profile. There's a whole new cadre and cohort of early career faculty that are coming up through the ranks that aren't just trained in one particular discipline. They've got data science skills, they've got policy analysis skills, they've got economic skills. Um, they are interested in bringing the research into uh, the decision-making process. And I think that's different than it was a number of decades ago. It's not that it didn't exist, but um, I just see more and more uh, 
a number of impressive young scholars who are getting their PhDs, who are uh, taking postdoctoral research positions that don't quite fit into uh, existing disciplinary lines. And one of the things we uh, view it as important is to really help them along in their career and to really help them in some cases launch their career so that as they work on these important energy and environment questions over the coming decades, that they're really bolstered uh, early on um, so that they really have a strong foundation to, to work on. And I think that's one of the most satisfying um, elements of the role is to see uh, doctoral students that might have been funded on Sloan grants or early career faculty that really uh, have begun to progress through the ranks, right, and have gotten tenure track positions and have moved on to high profile roles. And, you know, our ability to maybe help seed some of the work early on is uh, really quite satisfying. Mm hmm. This is great. And, and you're, you're giving me a lot of food for thought as to my next question about kind of the evolution of the sector, because you've already highlighted a couple of things uh, that you've seen change over the time that you've been. So you've been at the Sloan Foundation for eight and a half years, and you've been in the philanthropic sector for close to 15 years in total. So over that time frame, it sounds like there are uh, changes in kind of the ways that researchers are trained and coming up through the actual kind of academic ranks. There are changes in the ways that both funders and uh, grantees are interacting with communities who are going to be impacted by decisions that are being made. Um, those are two that jumped out of, of what I've heard you say so far. Are there other ways that you've seen this world of kind of environment-focused philanthropy evolve in your 15 years in the sector? So I, I think especially as of late, there are a number of newer funders that are entering the conversation. Uh, which is really wonderful to see. As I mentioned earlier on, uh, there really has been a dearth of philanthropic funds that are going to um, energy and climate change. That may sound surprising, but but uh, research shows that that's true. I think that that's beginning to change and the tide is beginning to turn there, which is really quite welcome. And I think whether funders fund research, which of course I would uh, appreciate or work on other aspects of this important challenge, there are a number of new funders entering the space. Um, I think people are trying new modes of grant making, uh, different ways of uh, considering proposals uh, and, and, and moving that work forward. Um, so I think there's a whole new um, era of science philanthropy that's emerging. And I think a lot of that is going to have positive benefits to um, the work that's being done in energy and the environment. We at the Sloan Foundation are members of something called the Science Philanthropy Alliance, which is a number of existing and new foundations that are dedicated to supporting research in all of its um, uh, in, in all of its facets. And a number of those uh, members of the Science Philanthropy Alliance and other foundations as well are ha showing more and more commitment to thinking about uh, making progress on energy and environment and climate change issues. So I think that that. Uh, explosion of additional resources is certainly welcome. Um, I also think it's really important to ensure that those resources uh, are devoted and spent responsibly. Um, and I think one of the interesting things about the way foundations work is that we have a lot of degrees of freedom to operate. Um, and I think uh, to allocate those resources well, you, uh, foundations really have to think long and hard about their mission, their values, their goals, and their processes have to reflect that. Um, 
And I, I think uh, that's a, a potential trap that some foundations fall into is that not thinking hard enough about how they're going to deploy their resources in the most society responsible way. Uh, and I, I think a number of these newer foundations um, in my experience are, are doing a good job in beginning to grapple with the, the societal responsibility of uh, their grant making. Um, and I think the, the work is going to be all the better for it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I certainly see that there's a, a data-driven approach to grant making that for me feels new. Um, I've worked in the nonprofit sector for long, longer than I'm going to admit on this podcast. But um, but yeah, that's that's very much something where the funders coming in bring a rigor, not that the previous funders didn't, but that's certainly part of the ethos now is sort of making the most of dollars that are, are spent. And um, yeah, and everyone obviously has that same interest in, in impact, which is what we're all going for. So, uh, so I, I just wanted to ask you one last question about kind of evolution in the philanthropic sector um, and and this idea of, of seeking to give money beyond the quote-unquote usual suspects. So I feel like this is something that I've heard that has been under discussion is how do we not just give money to kind of the same group of people who are have been getting big grants for years, particularly in this world where there are kind of some large organizations that are doing great work, but have been funded for a number of years. Um, and so how do they, you know, how do funders broaden the pool of folks receiving money and particularly on those front lines of energy and environmental issues? So I wondered if there's anything you could offer about how the Sloan Foundation is thinking about that um, and and or how you're seeking to actually identify that broader set of stakeholders. So I, I think the way that foundations can do that well is embedding that perspective in the kinds of grants that they look to support and to fund. So for example, for us, uh, we have a strong commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, every proposal that we consider has to have a plan that outlines activities that the proposer is going to take on that front. And we positively select projects that really have a strong commitment to those areas. Um, we we uh, explicitly focus on advancing work that is interdisciplinary, uh, that is often hard for researchers to get government funding for because it crosses so many, uh, uh, so many uh, disciplinary lines. We explicitly try to focus on advancing work done by early career faculty uh, to try to broaden the pool of individuals who are supported. We look for uh, scholars that are trying to do work that is timely and catalytic and gap filling, um, not just advancing their own independent line of research. We also we look for partnerships with other foundations. I mentioned one before, um, but we have partnered with a number of other funders in the Heising Simons Foundation, the Mitchell Foundation, and others, which helps to engage uh, with a wider range of, of researchers. And then, you know, in the field of science philanthropy more broadly, there are a number of ongoing efforts uh, to rethink how foundations do grants. Um, some are, are unexpected, for instance, thinking about potentially randomizing grant awards, and, and others are, are thinking about how do you restructure the ways that foundations are organized themselves to think about this. And I think wherever foundations fall along that spectrum of uh, rethinking how they do work, they're all committed to trying to make the world a better place. Uh, and I think the, the challenge there is always ensuring that you're uh, providing 
the right resources to the right people uh, to advance work in this area. Um, and I think it's really exciting to see the level of experimentation that's going on in this field more broadly to see how foundations can have the greatest impact possible. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, it's a lot of new information. It's nice to hear about all those efforts underway. So we're getting close to the end of our time, Evan. I'm going to ask you two closing questions, one of which is, our, of course, our standard closing question. But uh, before I turn to top of the stack, I did, I did want to give you an opportunity to kind of share any advice you would have for you know, the young scholars and practitioners out there who are relatively new to the philanthropic game and who are seeking funding for their ideas. Any words of wisdom you'd want to share? Well, you know, I would say that uh, it's always important to keep trying. Like I said, we we have so many good ideas that come across our desk and we can only consider a small fraction of them, um, especially for early career researchers and practitioners to keep at it and to not be discouraged if uh, things don't work out the first time around. I mean, that's true for most things, but I think it's especially true uh, for uh, seeking funding from philanthropy. I would also say that, you know, foundations are pretty unique. Each one kind of has its own area of focus and way of operating, which is a little different than government funders. So take the time to really understand uh, the research priorities and the ways of working that uh, each individual foundation works under, because I think that will increase your chances of success. Um, And third, I would say, work through your networks to find ways of connecting with foundations. Uh, Most foundations have smaller staffs, uh, so it can take some time to really get to know them. Um, But I would encourage early career faculty and researchers and practitioners um, to continue to seek out foundations because I think they're an important complement to the funding ecosystem that often is underappreciated. Great. All right. Well, hopefully we have lots of early career scholars listening this time around for that for that good advice. Um, and yeah, let me pivot and close with our regular feature, Top of the Stack. Uh, Evan, what's on the top of your stack in terms of more good content? It can be a book. It could be your own book. I'm going to tout that for you. Uh, an article, a podcast, anything that you might want to recommend to our listeners. And it can be, of course, on this topic or it can be more broadly. Sure. So uh, the top of my reading list at the moment is a book called The Genesis of Technoscientific Revolutions, which is a book that came out at the end of last year that I'm really excited to read, which is all about rethinking how uh, science is funded in the United States um, and thinking about the ways in which that basic research uh, feeds into applied research and technological development. I think there's a lot of good lessons to be learned uh, in that kind of thinking and analysis and something I'm interested in reading and diving into a little bit more uh, when I have the time in between reading proposals. So. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Well, we'll post that recommendation on the website uh, alongside this recording so that our listeners can check it out, too. Excellent. Evan, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Kristen. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C., 
Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.